Lights, camera, action. Hello and welcome to another edition of Movie Madness in association with Spitballing Pod. I'm Luke Byron, joined as always by Jack Harper, and that's where the names end currently. Um, <laughs> Sean intends to be joining us, um, being at home all day, but apparently hasn't had time to have his tea, but has had time to bet on all the horse racing. And Keenan, much with the theme of uh, the horse racing, I'm not sure if he'll mind me saying. If not, he should have been here to defend himself. <laughs> I was had a little too much to drink. He messaged me saying he might be out. I inquired whether it was due to the racing, and he said um, he, he's too old for this now, and he's gone past the point of uh, being drunk in the day, and uh, he's hit the early hangover. So others I may have tried to convince, tried to get them over the line, but... Um, I think a, a certain amount of Keenan's charm you have to pry out anyway. And perhaps <laughs> if he's hung over, there might not be much of that left. So, <laughs> this is wildcard week two. <clears throat> the matchup we'll be discussing this week is 2009's Laura Bylin Citizen versus 2002's Phone Booth. Myself and Shoot will be the ones judging as and when he arrives. Um, you'll probably know, I'm sure there'll be a racket when he does. But there we go. Well, no, don't you worry about that. Yeah, exactly. Um, I've got a dog in my ass. It shouldn't be the case. (laughs) Don't have one. I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) Um, If we start with um, Laura Biden Citizen, then. So Keenan's pick, which obviously he's not here to do, but the synopsis. A frustrated man decides to take justice into his own hands after a plea bargain sets one of his family's killers free. Um, critics' reviews. What What do you think they think of this? Because I think I may have said something about how Rotten Tomatoes view this film previously on another podcast. So I don't know anything about any reviews. I haven't looked at it uh, specifically so I could find out here. In I forgot how much I loved this film. And in fact, it's, it's so much so that I should have chosen it for my pick. <laughs> uh, I, I think the critics will be well receiving of it because we touched on it slightly earlier about you said to me about we'll, we'll go into like the hidden meaning potentially behind all of this. Well, I guess we'll we've, go got, we've got Sean here. Sean, how you doing? Hello. Yeah, all good. All good. How's- we were speculating about how loud your entrance was going to be, and then you joined on mute. You've uh, proved a lot of people wrong. <laughs> yeah, um, I have absolutely no respect for Chelsea at Atletico Madrid, though. That's, that's poor. Hey, we'll be done. <laughs> I have no um, respect for that, actually, because I have put them in a bet. So, okay. Respect. And back Chelsea as well. So, there you go. Nice. Good man. I, that's what I like to hear. <laughs> well, we've, we've pointed out that the racing's got to Keenan. Um, so he's not joining us <laughs> and you're just in time for the critics reviews of Laura Biden citizen. So okay. Jack was speculating that he thinks the critics will be quite kind to this Jack. I've got to tell you, um, 
26 percent um out of 100 is what the critics give this on rotten tomatoes they absolutely detest it for the most 26 percent yeah what yeah they despise this film it's one where you truly see the parity of um critics to audience so the audience score 75 percent with 250,000 plus people rating it and there's 160 critics reviews and uh yeah, the tomato meter, 26%. That's insane. I can't believe it's that low. Well, to put it into perspective, um, on the left-hand side, if you go on their site at the moment, they've got the most popular films. Um, the latest SpongeBob movie is at a cool 69%. <laughs> is it the same panel that review every single film? No, no. There's. It's just essentially... They just like pull together critic scores, much like I don't know, like uh, compare the market goes and gets all the different quotes from across there. This is what they do, but for critics. So I've got a selection here. Um, offers plenty of entertainment value, provided that viewers are willing to accept several remarkably convenient truths. Uh, the perfect action flick for low-maintenance audiences. I don't know what that says about us. Um, as a piece of fluffy entertainment, law-abiding citizen is passable enough. Try to dig any deeper, however, and you'd be scraping the bottom of a very shallow barrel. I, oh, have we watched different films? Is there, um, is there a parallel universe with another? Well, some of them, I think... Are, probably echo what we think so, uh, there were surprises twists and turns and it could get graphic at times but overall the movie was fast paced well performed and kept your attention till the very end what more can you ask for like I, I admit you have to disengage the brain slightly when you find out he's dug into every solitary confinement set yeah, well, we said that about like speed though where it was like that's part of it they don't expect you to you get somewhere they dive into what the genre is and then they play up to it and that's pretty much what we get in here i've I've got this amazing image of solitary confined prisoners just seeing him pop out <laughs> <laughs> pop out his fucking toilet and then they've told obviously the guard about it and they just thought he's gone mental in solitary confinement so there's a guy coming out my toilet well, it makes a mockery of Prison Break because it took them, what, 22 episodes in the first season for him <laughs> yeah. to get out? Oh, man, here, does it on his own. Yeah. He just comes and goes as he pleases. Is there bad it, about Prison Break? It, it does. Know, if if uh, Michael Schofield had uh, Nick Rice, he's called in this, um, if he had him on his side, then you never know. It may have been a bit easier for him. Sure, you're doing your typing again. So I thought it was on mute. Yeah, that's on mute. What's he doing alongside? Anyway. I realised my uh, notes for Law Abiding City Law Abiding Citizen didn't save, so I'm just typing them back up again from my phone. Alright. Um, one of the most repugnant examples of Hollywood's cheap thrill approach to violence, its voyeuristic brutality is matched only by its innate stupidity. It's a shocking film. I remember like it doesn't surprise me. Some of the other critics we've had, it doesn't surprise me that this is what 
some of them are saying. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I don't remember a darker start to a movie, really. Like, you get in there, you bash this down the front door, you see his wife get tied up, and then they pull like, her skirt up, and then they stab her, and then they pick up his young child and they stab him. And it's like, that is dark. Don't get me what wrong. What does it say about Face Off? That even this film is like, we don't really need to show you the kid being killed. The face-off is like, you know what? <laughs> yeah. We'll get you straight into this. You're seeing it. Um, the film can't seem to make up its mind whether it wants to be an audience-pleasing popcorn treat or a serious political thriller. It ends up being partly both, with varying degrees of success. Putting aside the ideological posturing, this hyper-violent fantasy about a seemingly unstoppable killer who continues his murder spree behind bars delivers on its promise of an intriguing mystery, however far-fetched. Um, just two more. In another time and place, law-abiding citizen could have been an intelligent critique of a flawed criminal justice system. Instead, I present you Gerard Butler, ruthlessly hacking a guy into 25 little pieces. I think, um, it, it, like that, that, to pick up on something like that, if you you imagine doing things to your worst enemies right and i imagine that's pretty high up the list for worst enemies when they do that to his family yeah so in in a sense it's kind of satisfying to see someone go that dark yeah there's there's a film which it reminds me of and i don't know which one was out first but and we'll get into that scene but there's a film called the tortured and it was by the makers of saw i think it was after the third where they were like do we carry on and make another five of these or do we make just a saw film without jigsaw? And there's one of these and the premise is the same. Their son or daughter gets kidnapped and killed and they track down and take the person that they believe to be the one that's done it. See, I, I, think, I've, a, I think I've seen this. Does it the, turn out to not be the right guy? Yeah. Yeah. And um, he, he was just in the same transport van. Yeah. He was actually in there for like tax evasion or something like that. The thing that it would remind you of is um, there's a scene where they inject something in him and it's, I always think of it, and it makes every single muscle in his body cramp at once. And every time I get cramp, I think about <laughs> if I was to have every single thing. The worst is if your jaw... If your I was jaw just about it, to say, jaw cramp is the absolute... You have to yawn in. God, jaw cramp feels like someone's trying to rip your head into it. <laughs> But I think of that every time. But I don't know which of these came out first. I guess that's part of the critique that it it's like something out of a horror film, which a lot of the ones I didn't have in here use the phrase torture porn and that kind of thing. Mm. Um, well, the, the final review, actually, um, it's silly and nasty at the same time. Not a good combination. So another nasty film. <laughs> it's just nasty. I've got I've got some trivia here. Um, there isn't much of it for either film today. I think there's about five for each, maybe. So, director F. Gary Gray, which is a great name, um, unless you're dyslexic, I think. <laughs> Gary Gray even makes my eyes spin. Decided to use Del Frisco's Double Eagle Steakhouse as the restaurant that caters Clyde's lunch after dining there several times during filming. Um, the restaurant was then used as the location of the after party and its screening at the film festival. So essentially, they just kept going to this steakhouse during filming 
<laughs> he and fucking loved the state there. Yeah, was to just put it in the film. Because they are very specific, aren't they? Because you'd think it was like, I don't know if it is like a, a highbrow place, because he's very specific, isn't he? He's like, I want Adele Frisco's, and then he gives his whole menu order, all the trimmings, asparagus, and little potatoes on the side. Yeah. Um, the two lead roles were initially slated to be played as opposites. Gerard Butler was going to play Nick, and Jamie Foxx was going to play Clyde. Do you think that could have worked the other way around? I genuinely think it could have, just because <clears throat> I love both the actors, and I think they could probably do anything, really. Yeah, I, I think they could have done it the other way around as well. It's, it's <laughs> one of those myths. So both of them have told the story that they were the ones that requested for it to be changed. And there's interviews with both of them where they claim this, and I think the other one just lets it slide. So... <laughs> it's hard to know who requested this to be done. The more reputable one comes from Gerard Butler, who... Sorry. So the more reputable one comes from Jamie Foxx, who says that Gerard Butler was already attached to the film, and then he suggested the change. They went to Gerard Butler, who says, that's a great idea. I'd love to do that. But who knows? In negotiations, Jamie Foxx has got more pulling power. I don't really know. That's a tough one. I think they're like on a par with each other, which makes it such a good film. Yeah, 2009. So, Jamie Foxx, I was thinking whether it was before or after Django, because I can imagine his price goes up quite significantly after that. Yeah. Um, there we go. Um, when in Clyde's house, Carl Meany asked Jamie Foxx if Clyde is a lawyer and hands him a volume of the US code. Uh, the volume that she hands over is the bankruptcy code, if you look closer, which obviously wouldn't appear to be very helpful in Clyde's plan. But may, he may have just had the complete set, I suppose, and they pulled that one out at random, but it is a weird way to go about it. Um, in the scene where the mayor is swearing in Nick as the new district attorney, the man holding the Bible is the actual mayor of Philadelphia at the time of filming. No way. And finally, this marks the second time a Bruce McGill character gets, kill- gets killed off in a car explosion as he had the same fate in The Last Boy Scout. There you go. Oh, we did. A little, uh, little crossover. Yeah, I didn't even clock that. Um, so that's kind of, uh, that, that's the trivia there. That's all of it. Um, I said to Jack before we started recording, Sean, um, but probably the most interesting part of this, and this is probably a more serious discussion than we may have ever had on the podcast, is what the moral of this story is. And I guess that is part of the point of why they made it, but whether they did it right or not is open to interpretation. Because the first thing I thought after the film was, this point doesn't hold as much weight by the fact that the justice system, one of the killers was actually sentenced and he still went out of his way and kind of affected things afterwards where he changes the canisters around. So I'm not saying he was wrong to do so, <laughs> but if his whole issue is with the justice system and it's not working, I, in I that think, sense, the system did work. He was going to be killed. 
work because the the guy who was the more guilty of them is the one that got away, isn't it? I think that's, that, yeah, that's, so that's, I, I, I know what you mean. It's not like a bully but So I'm saying the one of them, if he felt that it was just an issue with the system, surely he'd have left that guy alone and just gone after the guy that got yeah, away. I get you. But, yeah. And you can't, as uh, Jamie Foxx says to him uh, when he first comes in, I don't think anyone blames him for, for doing what he did. They may have had their eyes turned up a bit, but he, he did what? Mm. I think that's the thing. I think it highlights even more so with the justice system that he is going to die, yes, but I think he just wanted to highlight that it was all going to be on... Um, Gerald Butler's terms more than anything yeah. even with like you may sentence him to die but you know what that's not enough yeah like, he didn't even get a proper trial because he got a plea deal and all that kind of stuff because the, the second guy um, who gets who gets killed um, well taken apart really it, it, it is an odd one because if his arms weren't tied behind his back if I'm not mistaken in most states in America, he could have retaliated and killed him there and then, and it would have been fine. But waiting and then it being premeditated after is what makes it wrong. Still, I think, again, it all comes down to his master plan, doesn't it? I think that's... Yeah, yeah. No, this was just a, just a thought that I had. Yeah, it's, it comes all to, that, uh, it's all that like self-defence. Self self-defence, yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. But I know what you mean. It is still like quite a strange thing. Like, you know, if it happened to what, obviously we're not in America, but in theory, if it happened to one of us and then we could kill that person then, but then, yeah, like even half an hour or an hour later, we, we couldn't. So do you think there's a point in this film where the moral switches or the case they're trying to make? Because I guess for most people, you're kind of on his side and then he blows up the cars and then it's been like mm, okay. yeah that's the point where you switch don't you really I think when he blows up the cars and even then you do kind of cheer him on you just feel a bit worse for doing so yeah I think that was the camp I was in it's when he blows up Jamie Foxx's like assistant understudy yeah and I was so so certain she was the girl from Taken to the point where no. <laughs> I had a bet with Sarah and I was like I am 100% sure it's the same person it turned out it wasn't it's, it's either her or the one that's in uh, Daredevil yeah or that one it's not her either is it they just, they, no. they just have like similar faces yeah I don't know what it is I died on that hill no she's she she's deserve. in um, Iron Man one and two. She's she's the wife in uh, Talladega Nights. If you really want to go back, all right. The one that switches over to uh, John C. Riley when he starts winning. Yeah. Um, I think that's what you'd probably recognise it from most, which isn't a great look for her. That to be kind of. Uh, your calling card, but she was even in an episode of uh, Entourage as well. Oh, yeah, that's kind of the point, isn't it? Where does that and 
I do think the quote is somewhat right where he says something along the lines of uh, lessons, uh, in my experience, lessons not learned in blood are soon forgotten. And we had a situation, not to get too political, where we had the protests uh, last summer when the uh, lockdowns first started and there's a lot of issues over in America. And you have it with the underground over here, which is much of a, a load of them are ridiculous. People seem perplexed when protests do cause some of fart in there, down the mic. People do seem shocked when uh, protests do cause some disturbances, as if they can just do them quietly in the background and the job's going to get done. <laughs> yeah, so people posting all over Facebook, like, well, peaceful protests, nothing needs to get damaged. Like, well, we're not talking about any peaceful protests yeah. that have happened recently, are we? We've, no. got, we've all, change has happened from, like, the, the riots in the yeah. protests happened last year so it's funny because everyone goes oh you never get anywhere with violence and peaceful protest is the way forward they only say that so you try and peacefully protest instead of smashing shit up yeah usually point to uh, not Malcolm X uh, Martin Luther King who was then assassinated so yeah (laughs) Malcolm X very much the non-peaceful protester with with this do you think they maybe went in with the intention of having kind of a moral standing like the one critics review suggested and then they went away from that or do you think they maybe started a conversation and that was all they really intended to do because I don't think it was meant to be like a deep thinking piece was it no I don't think it was meant to be deep thinking I was thinking it was supposed to highlight issues um about the justice system and I guess if you've got a budget you're going to spend it (laughs) like how better spend it than blowing up cars for sure um, but I definitely think it was it's supposed to start it and raise the point like you know what yeah this happens way too often um and maybe it was supposed to be an not an example of how it could go if you really do this too much you'll end up someone taking it completely the other way yeah if we go on to the categories and we'll do more on the film as we go through them so if we start with uh rewatchability as always for a film that has so much killing it, it is quite an easy watch to isn't it yeah it is what do you think sean yeah definitely an easy watch well there's i mean there's a couple of things that are, are pretty brutal watches that i guess aren't as easy but as, as an overall but yeah it is because um after rewatchability if we go to the quotes and then some more points for us so most of the quotes are from Clyde um, even just in that opening scene uh, not the opening scene the opening kind of uh, killing scene as he's talking him through what he's going to do to him uh, what was it thing from a puffer fish that he exp- uh, tetra detoxin should be nicely in your system by now, which for one is always a classic in films when mm-hmm. you just started to have it, that stuff coursing through your blood right now. Should be starting to make way. <laughs> um, 
Caribbean puffer fish, nicely specific. Um, and as he says, in other words, you can't move, but you feel everything. It does absolutely nothing to blunt the pain. And you're about to experience more of that than you can ever fucking imagine. And it's yeah. one of them where he almost says it down the camera. So it's to you at home just as much as the person there. And I think I messaged Keen, and I'm not sure if I messaged you as, as well, Jack, saying you do forget, or I at least forgot going in, just what a savage he was beforehand. Yeah. Because as much as obviously <clears throat> this has happened to his wife and daughter, there was a little something there under the surface beforehand. I was going to say that. <laughs> He's this Mr. Nicey-Nicey, I'm going to write down notes on the case on a piece of paper, it's all crumpled up in my pocket, wear beige jumpers and, like, be a family man. But there has to be something bubbling under the surface for you to think, you know what, instead of everything, I could buy 13 abandoned warehouses, kit them all out so I can really torture someone to fuck before I kill them, and then actually go through with it. We had another example of that meme as well, didn't we, when he's disguised and uh, the guy has the gun to his back and he gives it to somebody call an ambulance and as he presses the trigger. <laughs> yeah. But not for me. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect as well, right? the spikes came out of the gun. Love stuff like that. Yeah. I, I love it when, as much as if you're being helped to escape from the police, you, you probably aren't being too attentive to who's helping you do it. But I do love the just chuck a wig and glasses on and, and you are literally completely clueless as to who it is. Oh, I had this the other day. I was watching um, Undercover Boss as of furlough life, daylight, day, daytime TV as a kid. And they were, like, they'd come up with some ridiculous wigs. Like, that obviously it looked completely wrong and no one would just, no one would get him. Yeah. It's, it's it's certainly an odd one, um, but yeah, as we said, if if you've done all those things and someone's helping you to escape from prison, then that is probably how that's going to play out. <laughs> You're not going to be paying too much attention there. Yeah. Um, other quotes we've got. Uh, I'm going to bring the whole fucking deceased temple down on your head. It's going to be biblical. Biblical really does make that. Yeah. There's a lot of the critics' reviews where they crammed that in there to say, like, this film is biblical. That probably would have been the ones, if we look back, would be on the poster where they love getting the, the quotes on there from the critics. Um, another kind of movie trope that I liked is uh, when we bring in our man from uh, House of Cards, has this little cameo in there. Doug Stamper. Yeah. Doug Stamper. <laughs> and the, the classic, um, uh, you can't stop him. And he says, like, if he's here, it's because he wants to be here. He's two moves ahead when you're playing chess. But it's usually the, if he's in such and such, because he wants to be in such and such. I think we had it in Mission Impossible Fallout, didn't we? Where every time they think they got the bad guy caught and he's like, if he's there, that's because he wants to be there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. James Bond, you get that quite a lot as well. Yeah. Is I guess that's one of the things with the critics' reviews where they say about the kind of conveniences and it is kind of there's a whole genre of films where it's like you've pissed off the wrong person. 
and I, I this do... is when they unveil his um, job, essentially is like, if we want to kill someone, and they do it where they say, to keep the American dream alive, which is a very American way of saying <laughs> he's paid to arrange to have people murdered. <laughs> but that, that's, that's the way they go about it in very convenient job very convenient job choice for this situation see what i found interesting as well is that no one had the thought to just watch him at night but no one had the thought like all these people are being blown (laughs) how is he doing this tell you what we'll keep him under surveillance for 24 hours we'll put a camera in his cell yeah (laughs) um uh, what else have we got um when the judge says, I would tread carefully, and he's, well, how carefully should I tread? Because apparently I just killed two people, and you're about to let me walk right out that door. Yeah, I had this Very, one. very fair point. Yeah. <laughs> In a line of quotables that uh, he says to the judge, but I'm not sure I'll repeat some of them. My mum might be a bit curious as to what kind of podcast I've got going on. <laughs> I mean, the one that I liked was the hard part isn't making the decision; it's living with it. From Jonas, I thought that was a good little, good little quote there. Yeah, very, very classic ending as well. I do like the little nods to the other films of the genre, mm. where you should always not that they know they're in a film in this case, but whenever the guy is going, you can blow up those people if you really want to, but just know you're going to have to be the one to live with it. <laughs> yeah, at the time, you think, you know what, I'm going to reconcile. <laughs> Almost always that... works against him. Yeah. Not that he had anything to lose at that stage. So, so yeah, to be fair, that's probably the way I'd want to go out. Um, very convenient way that explodes as well, where it takes the entire room and then yeah. the flames get to him. He's sitting directly above the bomb, but it's the ceiling <laughs> and the opposite wall that catches fire first. It does look very cool, though. Yeah, good shot, good shot. I'll let that one slide. Um, scalpel, this is for your eyelids, just in case you insist on shutting them. Um, what about when he when he uh, when he says to the judge, "And I bet you take out the fucking ass." That's what I was just saying. I wasn't going <laughs> to shout out. We might wonder what kind of podcast we're doing. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> um, I took his fingers with box cutters, his toes with tin snips, his balls with a hacksaw, and his penis with a box cutter. How's that for specifics? <laughs> I like that he's got a tool for every job. I like that he's not reusing the. It's like he's gone into his garage and looked on the wall and just thought, right, what can I use all these for? Never use this. Let's see what can do with this. Do you think he took it seriously enough that his daughter sat through seeing a man be chopped up like that? Because I'm just telling her it's a horror film. And then kind of that's... He's not happy, obviously, but just that's his easy way of explaining it away is just to kind of brush it off. Maybe. Also, when his wife comes in, they don't turn it off immediately. She sits there and puts her hands over her mouth while it's still playing yeah, on the DVD. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like uh, they, Gina Hall from a Scary Movie. We so are being I, very nitpicky here. I, I, I should add, I do like the film. What, what I would find weird as well is I think I could walk into a room and see that and be like, oh, okay, 
because having grown up going to crits and people showing you best score and things like that and so it really does dull the senses i remember being yeah. sent, i remember being sent a compilation once of people being burned alive with the soundtrack of this girl is on fire playing over the top <laughs> and it's like yeah okay that and like in it lessons we put a proxy on the computer and watch stonings happen and that's pretty fucking sick jesus so i think yeah if someone sent me a video of that, you might get a knock on the door I, after this i wouldn't be upset i think there is a there is a difference i feel like when you wow well, i don't know you're watching real thing i think there's a difference when it's real stuff and a Oh, it's all real stuff. Well, and, and they do say she's six years old, by the way. <laughs> yeah. I think I, um, the, the thing that gets me as well is when uh, like he puts the, the mirror up so he has to watch it himself. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's just so, as if it's just like the cherry on the top of how horrific well, it's going to be. He has the picture of the family members there and saying they're going to watch all of it. So the woman's been raped, the daughter's been murdered. And now they have to watch you cut this <laughs> 25 pieces. I'm sure his daughter's <laughs> going to love that. Well, and the funny thing is, well, is that they're both in heaven, if there is a heaven and hell. Where's he going when he dies? He's not seeing his daughter again. He's condemned himself with this. Well, he thinks he's doing the right thing, doesn't he? Yeah, I know, but I don't know if God's going to see about that, if there is a God. Well, I yeah. think the God's on your side until the, until the car explosion. And then yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. God just turns off. It's like the Mourinho headphones meme. <laughs> oh, no, nah, not yeah. now. <laughs> Um, can you imagine going into like a confessions box if he was Catholic forgive me father for I've sinned and then just tells him what he's done That's they do it. do that in films and you are supposed to just act as if they've gotten away with it I, I, find, was... it, I find it that they can't be used like they can't go to the police some of these things that these priests must have heard yeah. but saying that was this thing, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to um, there was two quotes from the from the trailer (laughs) which yeah i liked um (laughs) where he says um you're the one who makes deals with murderers well i've come to make mine release me and he says or what and he gives it or the or that i kill everyone down the camera again um and channels is in a maximus really when nick says and vengeance keeps you warm at night He's given the vengeance. That's what you think this is about. Vengeance. Yeah, I guess it's, again, an, a wink to the people watching that this is just more than just a vengeance film. It's, yeah, it's... it's he it's obviously... More... He becomes more like anarchical as, as the film goes on, which is what's intended, but I guess you're all supposed to ask, when when will it stop? And that's, uh, I think, one of the taglines for the film said about um, muddied morals, I think it said something along those lines, mm-hmm. which sums it up pretty well. Um, him just asking for a shower after stabbing the bloke however many <laughs> times with a steak bone. They don't ever explain... Like where they say everything's like a chess piece, and I know he needs to get into uh, solitary. But I was expecting a reason for like this. This guy actually did this, and they kind of point out, look, you think it was a mistake that he ended up with that particular cellmate or whatever. 
but you don't really get any more on it. Yeah, imagine if you're sitting there for like unpaid parking tickets or something. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's and they tried intimidating him for his food. That is true, he did ask for it. Um, Jack, it's what do you bit... think is the best moment slash scene in this film? I was a big fan of Darby thinking he's gotten away with it and then getting the neurotoxin in the hand and then the torture scene. Yeah. So, <laughs> so if, if someone's just killed in Rachel family, that torture is still too good for them. I mean, maybe I'm, maybe I'm enjoying torture too much. I'm re-watching 24 and I forgot how much torture there is in season two. Yeah. And, I do think that's the best season as well. Yeah, it is. But I've just got to the bit. But President Palmer's been... Uh, voted out well um, people might not have seen 24 here although yeah. sean slates it without having watched it no, um, i've watched i've watched that well i'm not going to bother watching the second one now but I've watched, oh no that's that's not the big thing that happens that's just a small part of it but i watched the i've watched the first one first season's the, first the worst by what the I first episode no the first no, season the first no, season sean i was saying the, f- the oh, first season at the absolute first season's good it's good, but it goes to a whole new level in season two. All right. I think I, I might have seen the first episode of, of the second one as well, potentially. But yeah, I do need to watch it. 100%. What do you think is the best moment slash scene, Sean? Um, I think, yeah, I mean, obviously, like the the that run of, of, of like Darby on the phone and then when he catches him, that, that is very good. Um, as an alternative, I do like the first interrogation scenes so the first scene with with butler and yeah. uh, and uh jamie fox when he's obviously there and got arrested him uh, i think that that would possibly be my my second one um and then yeah the court one i think is as a and I the court one's really good as well i like that yeah. scene where he, where he like turns it around on her yeah uh, yeah but the, I'd, I'd probably go for the interrogation one would be my first one yeah then yeah yeah okay. I, I think the the courtroom scene or my favorite moment is probably him requesting his stake. Um, one of the things I did have down was I know they kind of mention a few times that like Jamie Foxx is, is the best at what he does. And they open another part of the kind of questions about the law system, about whether he just wants his conviction rate or whether he really is the best at kind of putting the bad guys away. When Gerard Butler's giving his confession at the start, I don't think there's a single person watching that didn't see that he was being purposefully tactful with his words to not say he did it. Yet every member of the police in that room is like, well, got it, boys. (laughs) And he's like, no, say it again. I said, I've dreamt about doing it. I've planned it. And then Jamie Foxx looks like mind blown. Like I cannot <laughs> believe <laughs> the way he's just done this. He's just spun. Um, if we go on to phone booth and uh, we'll come back to this when we do the judging. So publicist Stuart Shepard finds himself trapped in a phone booth pinned down by an extortionist sniper rifle. Unable to leave or receive outside help, Stuart's negotiation with the caller leads to a jaw-dropping climax. What do you think the critics think of this? Phone beef? Yeah. If they were written around... I can't can't imagine it's good. 
If it's written around the time it came out, I think they're surprisingly good. Jack, you're closer to correct than uh, Sean is. So, recalling some of the great Alfred Hitchcock films, Phone Booth takes a simple premise and grabs <laughs> the audience by the throat. That's quite some stretch, Alfred Hitchcock, the Phone Booth. Well, it's it. not. I'll give you some trivia in a bit, and you'll see that it's actually not too far fetched. Okay. Um, next one. This movie doesn't make sense on any level. That's the entire review. Um, and here it is, ladies and gentlemen, an entire 90-minute movie primarily set inside the cramped confines of a phone booth. Do you reckon they had a chat with the people that made Speed where they were thinking before, like, we can't have just one entire film on a bus? And they just one-up them and said, you know <laughs> what, we'll have an entire film in this a phone is, booth. Yeah, this is the first... I You have kind of obviously just destroyed that point by bringing up... Um, Speed ring up speed but uh i remember it when it came out thinking like this is the first film i can remember of it just being like is it really just in one phone booth like, is that, is I, this I really it? like it, it i do like a yeah. film called uh buried which came out in like 2010 that i've referenced before yeah but i really you, like that as well you've got like uh, panic room you could kind of say that i mean it's all one house isn't it so there's a few things that are similar but yeah um Farrow and Sutherland deliver such strong performances that it's easy to overlook the script's melodramatic dialogue and insane lapses of reality. I, I do agree with this. I agree that if it's not Kiefer Sutherland reading those lines, I don't find them as impactful. And it nearly wasn't. Um, as a cinematic experiment, Phone Booth is a resounding success. Even with its shortcomings, the film is destined to do well at the box office if only on the sheer charisma of Farrell. A sloppy film filled with cheap moralising. The plot holes are so large, it's a good thing the streets were shut off from traffic. <laughs> That's brilliant. I don't agree with it, but I like the way he's written it. Um, raises more questions than it answers. It attempts to convince us that a moralistic sniper would torture a sleazy publicist into tears of guilt and remorse over what amounts to a few paltry banal sins. Yeah, I, I, I did think that it's like he hasn't done that much wrong. I wish these crimes no. were a bit more. I yeah. wish it was like, if he was going to follow Alfred Hitchcock, the crimes would have been something that he couldn't yeah, come that, that was my main critique. Yeah. Um, finally, Phone Booth is not rocket science. In fact, it's a popcorn movie. But it's a popcorn movie of rare quality. As I said, not, not much trivia. So uh, the scene where Stu confesses everything was shot in the first take. Colin Farrell got applause from those present right after the scene was shot. Um, apparently, he was really worked up about this scene and uh, he couldn't sleep the night before the story goes. And so uh, him crying was as much that he, he just wanted to rest. And so he was just so pleased to get it over and done with that he could then leave the set and go home and sleep. <laughs> so uh, that's hence why uh, there was such applause afterwards. Um, Michael Bay considered directing this. Uh, when he met with the writers and producers, apparently the first thing he asked was, how can we get him out of the phone booth? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. not, a, not a Bay signature piece. No. <laughs> Unless um, those are like car crashes in front of the phone. Yeah. 
the phone actually worked and there was someone on the other line talking to Colin Farrell speaking as the caller, the Keith Sutherland's voice was added in during post-production. Um, screenwriter Larry Cohen originally pitched a concept to a film that takes place entirely within a phone booth to Alfred Hitchcock in the 1960s. Hitchcock liked the idea, but he and Cohen were unable to figure out a plot reason for keeping the film confined to a booth. Once the idea of a sniper came to Cohen in the late 1990s, he was able to write the script in under a month. How did it take 30 years to consider the sniper in that scenario? We're not the writers, I know. But it it seems very obvious going in. Uh, the shot of Katie Holmes in the restaurant was filmed between takes when the actress was resting. The director liked the look, so he added it in. Alternatively, you can read that as one of the camera people was just perving on Katie Holmes yeah. between takes and, and filming her. After this, he got a role of being the cameraman at all the World Cups. Yeah. Your dog enjoying that toy today? <laughs> oh, God, yes. I... <laughs> um, <laughs> It's reassuring to know it's not Sean with a squeaky toy. <laughs> um, Mel Gibson was set to star and even gave the screenwriter some helpful suggestions that wound up in the film, but he eventually backed out. Uh, Roger Jackson, who voiced Ghostface in the Scream films, was the original choice for the caller. I don't really know who that is, so I, I'm not sure. Well, you've seen the Scream films, haven't you, with him talking yeah, down the phone? I've- very so nice. you don't why well, I guess the reveal might not have been him in person as much as when you've got Keeper Sutherland, but just yeah. hearing that scream voice down the phone would have been interesting. <laughs> that is true. Um the word fuck is said 143 times, which was a world record for the uh curses per minute at the time when it came out in two thousand and two. It's said more than once a minute, so <laughs> that's not, that's brilliant. Um as of February 2018, there are four phone booths remaining in New York City, all of them on the West End Avenue, 66th, 90th, 100, and 101st Street. They're being kept as artefacts to preserve the history of NYC. How old is that making you feel that a phone booth is considered an artefact? <laughs> yeah, I know. I've got some great memories of phone booths. I remember in, t- in town, we used to... <laughs> When we are bored on a Saturday, we'd go and take the numbers down because they'd have them written inside the phone box. And then you'd, like, ring them and see who'd pick up, like, abuse them as they picked up. And then we had this brilliant idea that this one night we went to a liquid nappy night, like an under-18s night, with fucking end-ups played. And we'd got into, like, a scuffle with some lads from Cheltenham. Scuffle. Basically, I had had the, the numbers for all of the phone boxes on the route through town so i told someone that i was with i said right go and pick up the phone and pretend to be them not from Cheltenham, see what everyone does so i'd ring as we were approaching each phone box the phone box and someone run up to it and go oh shit it's them lot from Cheltenham. they're ringing the phone <laughs> and I've seen some some of the hardest kids in our year or tried to be the hardest kids in our year, absolutely shit themselves and it was probably one of the funniest things i can remember doing Misspent youth. Yeah, and you wouldn't get that these days. You wouldn't get people prank calling people on phone booths. It's just part of our culture well, going to go down the drain. The studio's original choice for the uh, lead role was uh, Jim Carrey. <laughs> yes, finally. 
he Someone was going to be the lead role in this film. Um, could, and I would be recasting Jim Carrey. But the, the director had just worked with um, Colin Farrell in a film called Tigerland and said that he was the guy. Um, Mark reckon, Wahlberg, if, sorry. I was just going to say, do you reckon if Farrell... Um, Jim Carrey does this film. Do you reckon he does it seriously, or do you reckon he does it? Yeah, you'd have to do it seriously. But can you imagine? I'm him? not sure how well it would work. Um, Mark Wahlberg turned down the role of Stewie in order to star in the Planet of the Apes, two thousand and one. Yeah, good idea. Nicholas Cage and Tom Cruise were also considered for the role of Stu. The thing is, you get Tom Cruise. And you feel like you can make a different film. Do you know what I mean? It's, you would be looking at every event yeah. to get him out of that box. Yeah. It's like um, getting Ronaldo and playing him at like centre defensive mid. Will Smith was attached to star at one point, believed to be in the role of the captain. Yeah, that could work. And Forrest Whitaker's role. Yeah. yeah. Whenever I see Forrest, Forrest Whitaker in anything now, I just think of him being portrayed in American Dad. I don't know. It's the no, spark. watch it. The spark up. Yeah. Well, the first choice for that role was actually uh, Ray Liotta, and he turned it down. Um, so the original ending was that Stu would step out the phone booth and start firing up at the windows. Then after Stu's let off two shots, the rubber bullet from one of the snipers hits him and he goes down. Uh, the police captain steps into the phone booth to get the receiver and is the SWAT team coming through the door and wound the voice. The script ends when Raimi wants a final statement from the voice and he says to Stu, but you'll never forget me, I gave you the most thrilling day of your life. And then the guy actually does die when the SWAT team go in there. So... Maybe that did change once they got Kiefer Sutherland and thought it would be cool to change it and kind of have him appear at the end. Yeah, I, I think they definitely rewrote it for that. So there so, you go. There, there's your trivia there. I was just thinking there with uh, Tom Cruise as possible. Obviously, Katie Holmes is. Yeah. So you could have met earlier than maybe they would have done. Yeah, they would have done. Um, so this is an hour and 21 minutes long. Um, what do you think for rewatchability? Yeah, yeah, for me, it's rewatchable. I'd only seen it once before. Um, so I did enjoy it the second time. It did feel very early 2000s with um, like the little voiceover at the start, kind of the transitions where they do almost like a, like a fast forward to go into the next, into, to switch into the next cut. Yeah, um, and the little where you do the kind of uh, like box in box thing that they must have just discovered around this time because they do it as like a massive thing on the TVs where they have like two sports playing in some of these early 2000s films and this just seems to be something they've discovered where they can have like the police in a little box in the corner and you can have the girl in the little box in the corner and they really do max that out in this film I guess, yeah. to give you some relief from the phone booth. Um, yeah, I, I agree with the with the rewatchability. I think I don't think it's too high up on the list because uh, actually it could go either way. 
once we've said rewatchability before, it's because you've got the set pieces that you're looking forward to seeing. So you can tune in, whether it's 10 minutes, 20 minutes, half an hour in, and it you, you can still stick whether you're waiting for a particular moment. Um, with this, it, it could be the opposite in that, I don't mean to degrade the film, but you almost don't need to watch a lot of it. So in terms of a background film, you can just have the dialogue largely and then look up when you need to. Yeah, there is that. Um, on the quotes, I thought a lot of them were kind of circumstantial. Like they are too many like punchy ones, but the ones that are obviously do stand out. I think my favourite was uh, you're in this position because you're not telling the truth. And he said, no, I'm in this fucking position because you have a gun, which very fair. Um, God damn it, man, you made me hurt my dick hand. Oh, I was good with the other hand. <laughs> I literally had that written down. That was going to be mine. It's just funny. Um, I, do, I do really think Colin Farrell was perfect for this. Yeah, I think so too. Because the other people mentioned... Um, I don't take them as seriously in their kind of switch up from serious to uh, the kind of humour of it. And it's something that Bruce Willis does really well in Die Hard, where he's in the serious situation. And I know I think we mentioned it on the podcast we did for the third one, maybe, but or maybe in the Christmas podcast. But a lot of Die Hard was criticised when it first came out because people said in this situation, you wouldn't be making jokes when... Like 80% of people, one of their go-to things when they're in an uncomfortable situation it's is humor. to joke. And yeah, and, yeah, and the humour about it. So when Colin Farrell's doing it in this, and same with Bruce Willis and Die Hard, it doesn't feel like you're taking a step out of the script to put your punchline in. It does very much feel like this is just his character as to how it is. Like his tone is changing, like he's annoyed when he's still making the wisecracks rather than it being kind of a turn to the camera, make your joke kind of thing. Yeah, agree. Someone like Tom Cruise, I'm not sure, not to doubt his acting ability, but I'm not sure it would have the same kind of spin to it. Uh, the most like comedic role that I've seen him in is either Night and Day and like Jack Reacher, and that's even that's still not Tropic Thunder. Yeah, true. I, but he doesn't really play himself you know like Tom, yeah, Cru- yeah. Tom Cruise doing Tom Cruise like he's always the same but obviously prosthetics and stuff and hair caps in Tropic Thunder but when he's doing Tom Cruise like he's not comedy doesn't come naturally to him I don't think I think Mark Wahlberg could have done a good job in this um, I'm not sure he does the final kind of breakdown as well mm. But I think I do Colin think Farrell, the one suggested he's probably the next best bet. Yeah, I agree. And I think Colin Farrell does make the breakdown because it's believable almost. That yeah. The way he plays the character, kind of squirmy. Y- you can see it. Yeah. And they do play into the stereotype of what you assume most publicists and things like that to be like when you're speaking to the gossip columns and things like that. Yeah, that's true. I mean, if any publicists are listening and I've emailed you for an interview, then <laughs> you're the odd one out in this scenario. But we have had some great ones. The guy we had on for uh, our John Wick interview, where 
as as he explained in the interview, he was late because he had a meeting with Keanu Reeves. Fair enough. But we forgot he was on the call. I think we were talking about work attire and polo shirts oh, and nonsense and... like that for about 40 minutes with this guy just sat in on the call just listening <laughs> to our nonsense before we realised. I think Keenan went, is he still on the call? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, we're not doing anything wrong. Well, we're talking about like house parties getting out of control and drinking. Yeah, exactly. Bar- and you just got Chad Stahelski's publicist sat there listening to it all. Talking nonsense. Um, other quotes we had in this. Um, oh, um, now doesn't that just talk your jaws? I love that. You know, like in the movies, just as the good guy is about to kill the bad guy, he cocks mm. his gun. Now, why didn't he have it cocked? Because the sound is scary. It's cool, isn't it? I'm like, it's spot on. It is, because you would assume that they should just always have it cocked. Yeah. It's like, I actually assume that people in films uncock their gun just so they can cock it again. The only time when the safety is off is when they're going to accidentally shoot themselves or the wrong person. Um, do you see the tourists with their video cameras hoping the cops will shoot you so they can sell the tape to gorious police shootouts? It made me think of the phase where anything uh, of any kind of odd nature is happening. There would be someone in their 40s or 50s saying, you want to get filmed that, get it on You've Been Framed. Get your children <laughs> quick for that. <laughs> My favourite one is the um, <coughs> where it's like, isn't it funny? But you hear a phone ring, it could be anybody. But ringing a phone has to be answered, doesn't it? But a ringing phone has to be answered, doesn't yeah. it? That brings me back to uh, my prank calling of payphones. That the amount of times people would pick up. Yeah. It's like, who's who's calling you <laughs> on, a, on a payphone? Why is that phone call going to be for you? I saw someone tweet in the week saying that on their bucket list was to go to a restaurant and ask someone to call them and for the waiter to bring them the phone, just so they have that feeling of importance. <laughs> <laughs> that would be nice to do. Um, one of the quotes um, where the caller phones Pamela and says, think about it. Why would a guy with a cell phone call a woman every day from a phone booth? She says, because it was quiet. And he's like, Pam, that's just stupid. <laughs> and some of the things when you've heard that like birds have believed it, that it's like no one else would have believed this. What is wrong with you? <laughs> Looking back at it now as well, there's probably not a city in the world that I'd want to touch a phone Least. Less. <laughs> London York. might come close. Yeah, not far off. Even the ones in Cheltenham are bad. That's so it must supposed to be a nice little place. Mm. Um, when he tells the uh, pizza guy, "Here you go, five dollars. Eat the pizza yourself. You look like you could use a good meal." Harsh, but well, even less harsh than what's about to happen to him. I suppose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess it pales in comparison. I've. I obviously remembered that uh, Kiefer Sutherland is the guy. But when the pizza guy came at the start, I was thinking, oh, I know he played a significant part later, and it, it wasn't clicking in my head what it was until you see him with his throat slit. I wonder if the police would do that, walking past, like, you don't want to see this, and then just let him pull back the thing and just see a bloke with his throat slit just so he can have some closure and know who it is. And the amount of times in films recently that police just let it 
just save the day and then just leave the person to let it slide. We had it with Minority Report last week. We had it with Speed, where they say and then just leave Sandra Bullock just standing around on her own. These police, <laughs> once they're off the clock, <laughs> it's, it's just all <laughs> no, funny no games. Problem. <laughs> yeah. It's like me when I close my laptop at the end of the day from like sat working from home when I've been sat like on my phone for the majority of I know that's what I said. Like <laughs> I close my laptop dead on fire and it's like, right, any emails, that's that's tomorrow's problem. Um Sean, do you have a best moment slash scene for this? I know it is largely one scene. Yeah, my uh my favourite scene is his like conf- the confession speech scene. The end, yeah, uh, which I do think is really good. And then I quite like his kind of first scene with Forrest Whitaker as well. Um, but yeah, my my, my favourite one is is that confessions one at the end, Oscar worthy in my opinion. I, I like the scene where he's in the phone booth. I just had a feeling that's the way you're going to go with that. <laughs> um. I think a favourite one for me, hard to say really. I do like the Kiefer reveal at the end. Yeah. I'm just a big Kiefer fanboy, that's what it is. I like um, the first time they see um, like the police chief and they're going down and he says about the therapist and he's kind of having the wise cracks there. Like, why didn't I think of that? And I did think with... Forrest Whitaker in this there's ways of kind of letting Colin Farrell know like look we're in this with you we're helping you out then going like your lawyer is on the way (laughs) we managed to get hold of that lawyer and he's on the way down now if you're if you're the sniper you're thinking hang on a minute (laughs) (laughs) um but they, they do a great job in this of kind of making you in your head shout at the screen, or I guess some people probably were shouting at the screen about the police being idiots and yeah. all of this, especially when they're saying, no, he's got the gun, he's got the gun in his pocket, I saw it. <laughs> um, Sean, if we go on to the judging and that leave us just enough time to do our uh, points to consider... Um, yeah. Which did you prefer? It's a tough one for me. It was tough. I did really like both, but uh, I'm going to go with Law Abiding Law Abiding Citizen. Okay. I actually did prefer Phone Booth on the rewatch. Ooh. Just the uniqueness of it. Uh, it Maybe that I've seen it less, but that. When I was instinctively doing this earlier, yeah, that was that was the one that I preferred. Yeah, so it was very close for me. But. Yeah, what about rewatchability, Sean? Rewatchability, I'd go the other way. Uh, I'd actually go phone booth. Um, I think I would watch that again first before I watch Law Abiding Citizen, and I think it's just an easier rewatch as well. I know we we said yeah. I think they're both obviously rewatchable, but. There are still a couple of scenes in Law by Citizen that are pretty gruesome. So not, you are not... squeamish as well. Uh, and yeah, I am. So well, I, yeah. I'm also the opposite way on this one, and I think Law Abiding Citizen is more rewatchable. So uh, I think you got the more set pieces there. 
and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, that's uh, that's my reasoning. Um, Sean, best quotes across the two films. Best quote for me, it's again tough one. I'm I'm giving it to phone booth, um, and it could be either it's either the that long speech if you class that as one quote um that is confession speech at the end which i know i've touched on with the scene um or it's the the phone sorry i've lost my notes the the phone ringing one um you know isn't it funny you hear a phone ring and it could be anybody but a ringing phone has to be answered doesn't it um and i remember like when i obviously watched it for the first time again for years yeah um, that really just stuck in my mind. So, yeah, phone booth for me. Um, it's Laura Biden Citizen for me, and it's the uh, I'm just getting started. I'm going to pull the whole thing down, bring the whole fucking disease, corrupt temple down on your heads. It's going to be biblical. <laughs> Best moment slash scene, Sean. Yeah, I've got uh, I've got phone booth again. Um, and yeah I'm, I'm, it's the same one as the quote one essentially and it's that kind of confession scene i think laura bind sitting has got really good scenes i think the reason i didn't pick that one was because there was it was like one of those ones where we touched on four of other films like this there's, there's so many quite a few kind of also good ones that seem similar that I, what what there wasn't one that was stand out um for me so that's why i've gone for film um mine's laura biden citizen and it is uh, the courtroom scene. Yeah. That was uh, my number one. Uh, probably my second favourite. Uh, Sean, most menacing villain? I wasn't really sure on this one. Yeah. Like, are we classing... Is Butler the villain or the hero in this in this film? The choice you've got to make. I mean, to, if, if it helps, um, mine is phone booth in, in this stance. One... Purely that his whole stance for causing this is that my man was sending out a couple of saucy texts and uh, phone calls on his lunch break. And I thought that was a bit more villainous. All the villains in this case, if we went for the villains at the start, then they did uh, rape and murder, but I kind of took them out the out the game early they weren't really kind of the end game yeah, villains not really in it, are they? i mean they're in it no. they're both killed very quickly yeah. so my pit my pit would be phone booth yeah i think yeah on, on that basis because you think jamie fox and then Joe butler are kind of heroes and anti-heroes so yeah i, I probably will go phone booth as well because i think it's the only one that has a certified villain throughout the film that you're obviously going against um, who's the best side character for you? Side character, I've gone for uh, Whitaker in Phone Booth. There's a close one with the, I actually forgot his name, but he's the the actor, not Jamie Foxx, but the one who's with him, the other police guy. I knew you were about to ask that. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, on the basis that I obviously can't remember his name. I know he's quite a famous actor, though. Um, yeah, on on the basis I could name him, that's that's why I've I've gone for I've gone. Cole Meany. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He he, he was a, his name. He always just he's just cut his um, Pat from Alan Partridge to me. <laughs> yep, Pat Farrell. 
Just like Pat. Uh, um, so yeah, I've gone Forest Whitaker. I was torn on. I think you've actually uh, charmed me there, Sean. I do actually agree with you because originally I was going to go for my man Doug Stamper. So uh, <laughs> he's not in it enough to be a side. <laughs> so Rex, yeah, um, Rex Ryan, I believe. But uh, Sean, action per minute. Uh, Laura Biden system. Agree. And the next one's pretty slammed yeah, up. Okay, okay. What is yeah. the actual figure? Um, so they say it's four, four um, phone booth. And I guess you have more than four people die in the cars in law-abiding citizens. So yeah. Most creative use of weaponry. I mean, do we need to go through his entire opening? <laughs> Yeah, there's not really. Again, it's pretty obvious for this one. It's law-abiding citizen, but depends which one you go for. Well, he uses a box cutter on his tackles, so. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, best soundtrack. Uh, soundtrack is phone booth for me for Mondays. Just checking the law-abiding citizen one. See if there's anything I'd forgotten about, but. No, I think you are. I'm in agreement with you. Close, close one battle. This um, originality, Sean. Originality. I've gone for. I've gone. I guess it, it, again, it's quite a tough one. But I, I went for phone booth on the basis that I kind of viewed this as when I first watched it, thinking this is so. This is whole film based on the phone booth, and I hadn't heard of that before. Yeah, I I think it's was a pretty opening case that when I think Laura Biden says and the best things about it are the ways it kind of one-ups other films of a similar genre yeah. rather than being original in itself uh, Bigger Impact Sean Laura Biden Citizen I think but yeah that was a close one Just uh yeah, it's. Uh, I, I agree with you. I think more people have probably seen Law Abiding Citizen, and uh, yeah, for our generation as well, I think. Phone booth for as, as original as it was, it's not like it kickstarted a chain of uh, similar. Um, yeah. I don't think it did much for. Um, I may be wrong. I'll just have a quick check, but I don't think it. I don't think this is what boosted Colin Farrell or. Forrest Whitaker or anyone like that into the big time? No. No. Well, shout out to uh, Dominic Lombardosi as well, being the police guy at the start. Yeah. Which film do you think has the better ending, Sean? Better ending, Law Abiding Citizen. As much as I do like... um, Keith Sutherland coming down at the end, and in, and obviously he's he's in the hospital, he's in the ambulance. Yeah. But apart that that bit is good, but as an overall ending, law abiding citizen. Yeah, I agree. Um, and which film do you think has the better chemistry? Again, I think they both have good chemistry, but I'm going 
law-abiding citizen on the basis that you see Jamie Foxx and um, and Gerald Butler in actual scenes together quite a few times, yeah. as opposed to of um, Colin no. Fowler uh, yeah. and uh, and uh, Kiefer Sutherland. And Kiefer Sutherland, yeah, they have chemistry, but it's over the phone. So yeah, law-abiding citizen. Yeah, I agree with you, which takes it to a 6-4 win for law-abiding citizen, pulled away at the end with uh, the last two ending in chemistry there. So what I'll do, I'll put a poll up uh, in the next couple of days um, to see who wins the wild card out of law-abiding citizen and Logan, and then I'll put a, another one up separately to see who wins out of uh, the winner of that and edge of tomorrow to see who goes into round two, which will of course be starting next week. And I can confirm the matchups we'll be doing next week in just a moment. Um, one of the things I, I had, which I'd not mentioned previously that got to me during law by the citizen was uh, the kind of police chief or uh, I forgot like what position it was, but the woman that basically just kept shouting at Jamie Foxx and the other guys in the police saying, this is on you, what are you waiting for? Just catch him as if they weren't trying to do that the entire time <laughs> or she's just slacking them off. Going, what are you playing at? Um, See, so yeah, I thought she was a bit out of pocket. Um, uh, all right. Points to consider. Um, we'll let you get off in just a moment, Jack. So next week, much like we did in season one, so... We'll have three episodes drop next week. They'll all be fairly shortish, uh, 20 minutes to half an hour, that kind of thing, um, where we will go through the first three matchups of the second round, which is The Dark Knight against Bad Boys 2, Gladiator against Man on Fire, and Casino Royale against Kingsman. Um, I believe this also when we start doing the blind voting, so send them in and rather rather than us go through on each one I'll uh, give you the results at the end of each episode so two of the big seeds in the bracket there in Casino Royale and The Dark Knight to go into next week so they'll be the three we go through um, real star of the film who do you think is the real star Gerard Butler or Jamie Foxx Gerard Butler I reckon yeah I think so too yeah, yeah. Um, phone booth. I mean, Colin Farrell. If anyone said anyone other than Colin Farrell, I'd be a bit worried <laughs> there. Um, there's no particular fan theories for those ones. Um, recasting one role. Any jump out to you, Sean? Um, no, well, on the answer, I have to think about it. No one jumps out, but. Jack, any jump out to you? Um, not out of all the ones that we've already said. Um, what I, if the sequel to Laura Biden Citizen is just the exact same premise, just they do actually switch roles this time? That would be awesome. <laughs> I'd like to see, see what film plays out. So Butler, Butler's just a, now he's like a, a disfigured, burnt face, but he's somehow... <laughs> <laughs> and it turns out... <laughs> he plays it as Fox was actually like, putting people in prison, uh, wrongly putting innocent people in prison or something, so they switched roles. 
He's being reincarnated. They did actually say for a while that they were going to do a sequel, but obviously it doesn't look like that's ever happened. Probably quite fortunately, to be fair. Or maybe like um, six sequel could be like Joe Butler had a, another son that didn't know or a brother. Joe <laughs> <laughs> Butler had a son and then that son did it to Jamie Foxx's daughter. And then it was <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Genuinely, if I was going to recast Colin Farrell, I actually think Adam Sandler could do a good job with this. I reckon you're probably right, you know. I'd, I'd watch that. And I'm basing that on Uncut Gems. I was just about to say. Love. Yeah, I was just Uncut about to say. Gems. Stop slating that film. It's not a good film. You just hate any film where the person has yellow sunglasses. <laughs> that was your criticism of Ali G as well. <laughs> yeah. Do you like it in Django when uh, they have yellow sunglasses? When they <laughs> yeah, yeah, Django in, in the next bracket as well, so we'll do a big breakdown of that. Um, if you had to add Tom Cruise or The Rock to each film, which would it be? You put, you put Cruise in Farrell's role and you put The Rock in probably Butler's role. I'll put The Rock in phone booth and he's the guy uh, that gets shot fit. in the back. I was going to say, it's not a big enough part for The Rock, is it? <laughs> huh? It's not a big enough part for The Rock. Well, that's my directorial style. This is like when they put um, Brian Cranston in Godzilla and then killed him off inside 10 minutes. Mm. I, bet he's, I bet he was fuming with that as well. I bet, well I bet he wasn't. I bet he made an absolute fortune. Still, though, a bit of pride. You think, I've just come out of Breaking Bad. My mate, I've got well, that was literally, they did it right on the back of Breaking Bad. So yeah. They just got that sh- money. Um, and yeah, Tom Cruise. We'll get him in Laurel Biden Citizen. Um, and no, I don't I don't think we're putting Don Lombardozzi in the Rex Ryan Sean. No, what I said, what about Doug Stamper, though? I don't know. He's kind of that size role in most films he's in, so it's not really that. <laughs> yeah, true. Unusual. Just have an affinity for him, for his character. Yeah, for sure. Um, so there we go. That wraps up. I've told you the episodes for next week. As I said previously, if you go back to the YouTube and you check out the interview that me and Jack dropped today as of filming, this will be coming out Friday, so came out Wednesday our interview with Garrett Warren talking about his time as a stunt coordinator in Hollywood and nearly being assassinated in a hit set up by his ex-wife. So plenty to get into there. Until then, we'll be back. Goodbye. <laughs>